The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, in Aramaic it's called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And these lay a multitude, circle that, of invalids, circle that, a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew he had been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? Jesus comes to Jerusalem. It's a festival time. There were a number of festivals where the Jews would travel from the surrounding regions to the holy city uh, to worship, to celebrate, uh, to pay their temple taxes, to offer sacrifices. And most of this done was, was done in the heart of the temple. And so when Jesus arrives on scene, what's interesting is he doesn't go to the temple. Where does he go? He goes to the pool of Bethesda. When we were there in Israel uh, a few months ago, we, got to, we were taken to the site that it was, was recently ex- excavated, and they found the actual steps where many of these who were hoping to be healed would sit and wait for the waters to be stirred hoping for healing to come their way. You can see it today. While we were there, we heard the recounting of the story of Jesus showing up on the scene and seeing the multitude, this great many people, and their caregivers are likely there. This crowd is there. There's a festival going on up up in the temple, but Jesus is here drawn to the broken, drawn to the hurting, Over and over again, the scriptures tell us that Jesus came for the sick, not the healthy. He was often called a friend of sinners and drunkards because of the time he spent with the broken, the rejected, the outcast. It's no surprise for us to see Jesus go from Samaria to the house of an to, to, to minister to an official and now to the broken. This man had been there 38 years hoping to be healed. Back in the time, and if you notice, if you're reading the ESV, if you have the King James Version, you'll see verse 4. In your scripture journal, verse 4 is not there. Any of you noticed? One, two, three, five. What's that all about? Is my Bible missing something? Was there a misprint, a typo? Uh, did verse 4 somehow fall out? Uh, what's going on? In the earliest manuscripts of the Old Testament, of which there is more than any other historical document, there's over 5,000 plus copies of the Old Testament that we have manuscripts, handwritten copies of either the entirety or, or parts of it. And in most of those early transcripts, the way that verse 4 is written in the King James Version and a couple others that kept it in there, some of you, it might be down in the footnote or the bottom of your Bible in the notes, It was more like a margin, like an explanation, like one of the scribes was writing about this day, and in the side he decided to tell us that back in that time, it was believed that an angel would come 
and periodically stir the waters. And the first crippled or diseased person to step into the waters would be healed. And so verse 7 gives us the explanation of what this man is waiting for. Verse 7, look at it with me. The sick man answered Jesus. Jesus had just said to him, do you want to be healed? And, and the man responds. He doesn't say, yes, heal me. What's he do? He makes an excuse. How many times are we confronted with the question of, from God? And our response is not, yes, but here's my excuse. Here's my, here's my defense. Here's my reason why. And, but that's what this man is consumed by. The sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. So Jesus sees this man. One of the things that we jumped over a minute ago is in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew this man was there a long time. I want you to see the divine knowledge of Jesus. Jesus chose to go to the pool, the place where those who were invalid, invalids, broken, paralyzed, lame, blind, there, not enjoying the festival, not enjoying the the happiness in life, but hoping for healing. Jesus went to them, knowing their suffering. Jesus knew this man. He knew his struggle. He knew his hope. He knew his his heart. And knowing that, Jesus went to him. In the very same way that Jesus had to go to Samaria, he knew this woman was there. This woman who was looking for significance in relationships gone bad, who was looking for hope and trying to find life and meaning. And Jesus knew, and so he went. In each of these examples that we've seen, Jesus being omniscient, all-knowing, knowing knowing everything, inserts himself. This is the kind of shepherd we have, a shepherd who loves and knows his sheep. The scriptures tell us that we are like lost sheep, and he is the good shepherd who came to find us. This is what Jesus is in the business of doing, of seeking and saving the lost, the broken. And he comes here even now today, and he knows your struggle. He knows the hardships you're dealing with. He knows the questions you have in your mind. He knows the doubts that you have. He knows the struggles that trip you up. He knows you. And he offers hope and healing today. No matter where you are, no matter what what you've done, no matter what you're struggling with, this man did not earn this invitation. This man did not earn what he is about to receive. This man did not even know who Jesus was, we will see in a moment. And yet Jesus approaches him. One in the midst of a multitude walks up to him and says, do you want to be And in the midst of this man's, uh, I can't be healed. If I were to try to get down there, somebody will beat me to it. Jesus, in a way that only he can, driven by compassion. The Bible says over nine times in the gospel 
that Jesus was moved with compassion. The Greek word is splagdazomehi. And what splagdazomehi means, it means to be moved in your bowels. Have you ever been so moved with compassion that you felt it in the core of who you are? This is the kind of care and compassion our Savior has for us when he sees us in our brokenness. Jesus, moved with compassion, is drawn to this man. Do you want to be healed? The question this morning to you that I ask is, and that God asks us is, do you want to be healed? Unfortunately, there are times when we don't. We've grown accustomed to our brokenness. We've grown comfortable with others waiting on us or others taking care of us. And if we were to be healed, then our whole life that we've gotten used to would have to change. Some of us were broken, but the healing is the last thing we want. Do you want to be healed? This man doesn't say yes. But Jesus sees through his explanation, sees through his excuse and says, get up. Not only that, get up, pick up your mat and walk home. At once, the scripture says, circle that phrase, at once the man was healed. The man got up. How many of you have broken an arm or a leg, been in a cast? A, a, a few of you. What happens to your muscle? In just that six, eight weeks? Atrophy, right? It begins to break down. How many of you have ever, like, I know Gary had this when he got his cast off. He, like, went down a step, and it's like, whoa. I mean, you, you don't expect it. Imagine what your muscles would be like after 38 years of being paralyzed. Even if doctors were to come up with some way of curing those who are paralyzed and repairing the nerves and putting things back together. Do you know how many months of physical therapy and, 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 and exercise would be required for you to be able to get up and stand on your own again? Anybody had to deal with something like that before? How many of you have gone through a surgery and the next moment you were better? Anybody? At least one? No? None? And yet Jesus speaks to this man who's been lame, paralyzed, crippled for 38 years. And in an instant, he gets up. He's able to pick up his bed and walk. At once, it wasn't like, and then the process of healing began. At the mention of a word, cells are repaired, muscle formed. Ligaments are attached. Everything that is necessary for you to walk like a normal human being happens in a moment. We have a Jesus who knows everything, knows every struggle. We have a Jesus, a Lord, who's compassionate and loves us and hurts when we hurt. And we have a Jesus who is all-powerful, who in the mere mention of a word or a thought Lives are changed. Cells are reformed. Muscles are grown. This is the same being who created the heavens and the earth, the universe, just at a word. God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
And in John chapter 1, we are told that nothing that has been made was made apart from him. And the creator of the universe speaks to this man and says, get up. Again, I'm going to point out that this is not a faith healing. This man does, has no clue who Jesus is. This man has, no, has not earned this. He hasn't even asked for it. He's simply waiting there, and Jesus changes his life just like he wants to change yours. He offers complete and total healing to any who would receive it. Now, I'm going to come back to that because the healing that God offers is not always the healing that we want. And yes, there are going to be times that we talked about last week. Gary and I, Pastor Gary and I were at the hospital praying over Ella Gleason. And as we're praying, it had nothing to do with Gary. It had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with anybody in that room. We saw God restore what was feared to be lost. And after a surgery, she begins to move her feet again. We believe in a God who still heals today. But there are some of you here who wonder, well, why not me? How many people do you think were sitting there that day asking that same question? There was a multitude there. We only see that Jesus healed one. We'll come back to that. So, we have a God who we see, who knows everything. A God that is all-consumingly driven by compassion and love for those of us that he loves. And a God that is omnipotent, all-powerful. And just the mention of a word, he can bring healing. We see him also always having a purpose. Verse 9. We have this seemingly little interruption in this story. At once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now, that day, was the Sabbath. Oh, no. What is this? What's the deal here? Jesus grew up. Understanding the Ten Commandments, I mean, I think he knows them well. He knew the laws of the people of his day. The Sabbath was a day where you were forbidden forbidden to work. You were forbidden to travel certain distances, to pick up certain things. A lot of those Sabbath laws are still practiced today. When we were in Israel, we went to a hotel, and it happened to be the Sabbath day. A lot of us had rooms on the 5th or the 7th or the 8th floor. And we walk into an elevator, and none of the buttons are working. We must have got on a broken elevator. And so we go to get off, and somebody politely grabs hold of us and says, It's the Sabbath. You're not allowed to touch buttons on the Sabbath. Did you guys know that? against the law to push a button on the Sabbath. And so the way this elevator was wired was on Sabbath day, the buttons stopped working. And you just patiently go floor to floor to floor to floor waiting till you get to your right floor. I mean, it's, it's true. Go and if, if you don't want to wait, 
there was the Gentile elevator right next door. You could go and the buttons worked in that one. But the Sabbath day, why, why not wait till the next day? The guy would have still been there. He's been there 38 years. Jesus knew what he was doing. We see here a picture of our Lord who's the Lord over sickness. And he is the Lord over the Sabbath. The Sabbath day is the day of the Lord. We're going to hit on that next week more, so I'm going to move on. But it's significant that this day was chosen. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, now watch this. This man's been dead for 38 years. Many people recognize him. He's come to the same spot. He's been carried there probably by family and friends, cared for. Many people have under, look at him, they recognize his face. And then all of a sudden, they see him walking. And what do they say? Dude, can you believe this? Somehow he's walking. Is that what they say? Check it out. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, um, Hey, bud, it's a Sabbath. It's against the law for you to be carrying your bed. They totally missed it. They have no idea what is going on in front of them. They're so consumed with their own understanding and interpretation of the law given by God that they fail to see the God of the law. They fail to see his moving and his power. And they criticize this miraculous healing. You can't be healed. It's the Sabbath day. What are you doing? It's against the law. This man, I'm sure, he's, he's like caught off guard. He has no idea. What do I say to them? I, I don't know who did this to me. Look at his response. He answered them and said, the man who healed me said to me, take up your bed. It's not my fault. I was just following orders. If somebody heals you, you, you think they must have some kind of authority, and it's his fault. And they asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. But Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. It's kind of weird. Whenever you see weird things like this, it, it should drive you to study more and, and to try and figure out what's going on. And when you look at the context of everything else that's been going on, Jesus, over the last several chapters, has been dismantling the ideas and the perceptions of the Jewish people. He is sick of them just being a kind of people that just want to see signs and miracles and sideshows. He wants them to see him for who he truly is. And so, imagine this is the pool and there's invalids all over, uh, lame, blind, people dying from disease, and Jesus picks out one person and says, hey, do you want to be healed? Excuse, excuse, excuse. Get up. Take up your bed and walk. Now, I could see that exchange being able to be done in a way that isn't drawing the tension. There's no fireworks. There's no, there's no big, you know, loud explosions. There's no, you know, raising of a staff and striking a rock like Moses did. Jesus just speaks some simple words, and this man is changed. Now, I'm sure the people sitting right around him must have 
what, what just happened? And I'm sure several were, as they were beginning to put the pieces together, were like, hey, hey, I want to be next. And Jesus conveniently just slips away. Why? Why not stay there and heal every single person? Because the scriptures tell us he knows the heart of man. He did not trust himself to them. We're going to see in story after story coming up, these people, they don't want a savior. They simply want to be fixed. They want to be fed. They want to be healed. And Jesus has a purpose for healing this man. And there is healing that will come to all eventually. But imagine if he were to start, the crowds would have just built all looking for the wrong thing. So Jesus slips away because there's a crowd. So the Jews said to the man, let me, let me jump down, verse 13, Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd there in the place. So afterward, Jesus found the man. Now the man had gotten up from where he was, and it's maybe, what, four or five hundred yards from there to the temple? Those of you who remember, it wasn't that far. This man gets up, and he goes to the temple. All his life, he's been missing out on these festivals. He's been missing out on the, on, the, on the party, on the excitement. He's been missing out on being able to worship like others. And so he goes to the temple, and Jesus finds him there. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well. Do you know why I did this for you? Sin no more. I've healed you so that you will be changed forever and walk in a life of holiness following me. See, you're well. Now follow me. See, you're well. Now leave your life of sin. This is Jesus' invitation over and over again to those who are broken and hurting. I do not come to condemn you because you're condemned already. I've come to set you free. The response out of the love that is poured to us should be to worship him and follow him. Jesus demonstrates his love for us. And while we were sinners, he gave up his life in our place. He offers us forgiveness without us having to earn it. This man did nothing. He didn't even know who it was who was healing him. But Jesus doesn't leave him there. Jesus didn't just drop in to heal and move on. And may we never be a church that is just about helping people and moving on. This was a sign, and a sign is always to point us in the right direction. This man was healed and given the sign so that he would see the direction it was pointing to Jesus himself. Go and sin no no more. So this man, 
He's then given a warning. Sin no more. That nothing worse may happen to you. What could be worse than being paralyzed for 38 years? What? How about being separated from God for eternity? Jesus didn't come to just heal and to feed and to bring back life so that people would then eventually die and go to hell. Every miracle, every act of compassion, every act of love, every sign that Jesus does is to point us to an everlasting, saving relationship with the Creator who made us and loves us and came to die for us. I'm not just here to fill your belly, but to lead you to salvation. I'm not here just to heal you and let you live a couple more years and then die and go to hell. I've come to set you free from the sin and the habits that so easily entangle. Sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. At the end of this chapter, which we'll look at next week, verse 28 and 29, Jesus speaks of that time that is coming. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to resurrection of life and those who have done evil to resurrection of judgment. There is an end coming where we will either spend eternity with God forever or eternity separated from him forever, suffering in a place called hell. Hell is real. our rejection of Jesus as our Savior, as the only one who can save us, is what sends each and every one of us to hell if we don't know him as our Savior. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working as well. We'll get into that next week. Jesus' healing of this man, I believe, is a foretaste. This whole story, I believe, is a foretaste of what's to come. Jesus came the first time, and the scriptures tell us he is coming again. The first time was to point us to himself, that salvation is found only in him. And yes, there will be healings that come in his name. And for others, he will simply sustain and be your peace and your presence and your joy in the midst of your suffering. Jesus made that clear. As I suffered, he said, you too will suffer. Physical healing will not come to all on this side of the kingdom of heaven. But in the second visit to this man, the first visit to this man was one thing, the second visit was another, and the second visit to all of us, all of us who have come to find life in him will be forever healed, forever transformed. The 
second thing I want you to see today is that every sign, every miracle, every blessing is there to point us to salvation in Jesus. Romans 2, uh, 2, 6, I believe, says it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And so the blessings that God pours into our life, are they leading you closer to him? Jesus will bless those who don't even yet know him. He will heal those who don't know his name. But he does it so that they will come to know him. He's blessing you and he's providing for you so that you too will also come to know him in deeper, more intimate ways. Are you walking with him? Are you enjoying his blessings? And are you sharing those with others? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who does heal. We thank you that you are a God that does love us. A God that has compassion. But we also know that all of us don't always get the healing and the blessings that we want today. And even in the midst of our suffering and our struggles, you are there with us still. But as you tell us in the book of James, that he who has sickness or needs healing, let him bring his requests to the leaders and the elders of the church that they may pray over them for healing. Because there is healing provided in your name. Although you may not heal all, you will heal some. And so today, God, and often, I pray that we would bring our needs to you, asking for your healing, asking for your presence, asking for your power to come and to heal. Father God, there are many in this room who are suffering, who are hurting, who are struggling with different kinds of struggles or illnesses or uh, situations in their life that they want to be healed from. And so you ask us to present our request to you, to boldly approach your throne, and so we do. And we pray on behalf of those who are struggling as well. And so, God, I pray for those in this room who need and desire and want healing in their life, some physical infirmity, some physical struggle. And in a minute, as we close during our time of worship, I want to invite those of you who are in this room who are struggling with something to please come forward. I want our leaders in our church here, uh, whether you're a community group leader or a Bible study leader or one of our spiritual leadership team members, I want you to come forward and be willing and ready to pray with those who want to be prayed for, want to ask for healing. I want us to be a church that embraces that, believing in the power of prayer and asking Jesus, if it be your will, bring your For those of you sitting in this room who need a different kind of healing. The man was healed physically and then later Jesus encountered him in the temple and said, "Uh, you are well physically, so now spiritually go and sin no more. I want to bring my spiritual healing into your life. And, And some of us, that's where we're stuck. 
we have sin habits, we have strongholds that have gotten root in our life, and we need Jesus' healing and his freedom in a way that only he can bring. And so if that's your struggle today, I want to invite you to also come forward. If you're sick, if you're struggling with a sin, ask for prayer. You're commanded to do that in Scripture. And so as we close today, I want to invite you to do so. We'll have leaders up here at the front. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know, the, like this man who didn't know Jesus, if you don't know him as your Savior, he is here today and saying, I love you. Regardless of your sin, regardless of your struggle, regardless of your brokenness or your past, I know you by name. And I love you. And I want to come into your life and make you new and show you what it means to follow me. If you believe in my name, if you open your heart to receive me, I will make you one of my children. And if you're here this morning and you've never done that, you've never called out to him, it's as simple as in this next moment you're saying, Christ, come into my life. Thank you for dying on a cross for me and forgiving me of my sins. Come into my life. Help me to receive your love and your forgiveness and make me new. Show me what it means to walk this life. So the invitation is out. Whether you need prayer for healing or forgiveness or to be set free from a struggle or to invite the Holy Spirit into your life to receive salvation that Jesus offers, I invite you to come forward and to pray with us. We love you. We want to lift you up. We want to pray for you. And this is all only possible because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And every week we we try to remember by taking a piece of bread as Jesus took a piece of bread on his last night and he broke it. And he said, all of this is possible because I'm breaking my body for you. And I'm allowing my blood to be shed for you. So in the four corners of this room, as an act of response and worship, we invite you to go to one of the corners and to remember by taking a piece of bread, dipping it in the cup, and saying, Jesus, thank you for what you did for me. Help me now to live for you. Father God, move among us in this room. Holy Spirit, have your way. We pray that you would bring healing. We pray that you would bring forgiveness. Make us new. Show us what it means to follow you. Amen. As our worship team leads us, I'd love to meet you, our prayer team members, our leaders at the front up here, and you to come and pray. We're here for you. Let's stand, let's worship, let's respond.